I uh, went to the prophetic roundtable this week in uh, Fort Lauderdale, and I want to share with you two things. Let me tell you how the roundtable works. The roundtable is a group of uh, Morning Star Fellowship of Ministry people who come together, and they sit at this big table that's not necessarily round. Our table was square. As a matter of fact, it was about six tables square. There were about 24 people there, and the way it starts, I w- didn't really know what to expect. And I'll just tell you, I went down there to see what it was about, to see if we could host it next year. Okay? And so that's kind of what I went for. I knew I needed to go, but it's also I just wanted to see if that's something that we could possibly do at some point, maybe next year. But anyway, um, got down there, and the way it, ha- way it works is this. is you, They come in, and they ask, first of all, what God's speaking to the various individual members and ministries that make up Morningstar Fellowship of Ministries. And then if you're a participant, you, you, you just say what you're going through or what God's been speaking. And then they have some topics that God's been speaking to them about, and they share that. And then what happens is everybody kind of begins to collate and to share and seek the heart of God for specifically what he's saying and doing now and perhaps for things coming in the future. And it's really remarkable how the topics begin to come out and how everybody seems to be uh, going through, experiencing, or hearing God say the same thing. Isn't that amazing? God says the same thing in Florida that he says in Georgia, that he says in South Carolina, that he says everywhere. And um, there were several topics that came up. Okay? Some seemed to have more emphasis than others. There were two that I thought were extremely interesting. And I'm going to start with the first one. It's the main one. And then I'll go to number two. And, um, you know, if Sat went, if Sat has something he wants to mention, then uh, he can mention the topic too. But I think the two main ones were these. Number one, uh, after we, the members shared what we shared, Tom Hardiman, who's the director of the Morningstar Fellowship of Ministries and the director for the Morningstar Fellowship of Churches, he asked a question, he said, and it was, real, it was a simple-sounding question, really short. He said, what about offenses? And everybody's eyes just popped open. And he said this, that he spoke about offenses that had happened at Morningstar. He's very transparent. Okay? And some of the issues surrounding the restoration of Todd Bentley. Well, everybody's not in agreement with how that should be done or if it even should be done. And it's caused people to become offended with Morningstar, and people have actually left because of it. And it, it led us into what's going on in our lives, individuals, and our ministries, and our regions that we live in. And the bottom line is every single ministry there that expressed themselves seemed to be expressing the fact that we are in a season where offenses... The opportunity for offense comes every single day. And it's important how we respond to that. Okay? Are we going to become offended or are we not going to become offended? Are we going to receive a, a bad report or, you know, when somebody stirs something up, are we going to go down that road or are we going to seek God? Are we just going to put on the whole armor of God and, and bathe ourselves with love and do the right thing, the Bible thing, and just not be offended? But we're in a season that that can happen and that that is happening. And so that's not an unfamiliar topic here because 
we've been talking about that for two solid years. You know, every once in a while, you'll hear us say, you know, be careful about offenses. Don't become offended. And this, that, and the other. And so we're aware of that. And so we're entering into a season where that's even more so. The second topic was, um, I'm just going to put this out, a, 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 a just, it was judgment. Okay? Maybe not in terms that you would ordinarily think of. There seems to be a lot of spiritual outpourings going on. Okay, there's one going on at Morningstar, there's one going on at IHOP, there's some going out in other places, spiritual outpourings. And as this topic began to be expressed, here's, here's what was said, that where spiritual outpourings come, in other words, where, where revival breaks out in a region, in an area, that God's justice is also going to be poured out along with the revival or the outpouring. And that as the outpouring begins to take effect and the fruit of it begins to be released in the lives of the people who participate and in the general area that it's in, then how that area or that city or the church or the individual receives spiritual outpouring, then the fruit of that will be judged. I thought that was interesting. And the point there being is this, is that where God so chooses to pour himself out at, there comes a responsibility. Okay? It's not just about the feel good. It's not just about the, the spiritual energy that, that just uh, causes us exuberation and happiness and joy. It is about what you do with it. Okay? What do we do with revival? What do we do with an outpouring of God? And so uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting topic too. And they talked about several other things. Sad, is there anything that just kind of pops up in your head other than those two things? You got a soapbox. <laughs> oh me. While Sat's still there looking, we'll kinda of, we'll kinda of go ahead with things and come back to Sat later, okay? Would that be okay, Sat? Is that okay? Would that be all right? Okay. Yeah. connected okay and you know that brings up that brings up a larger subject and I think maybe I'll address it just a little while not necessarily on revival but when God when God outpours you know there is there's the unlimited potential of what the outpouring can bring okay but usually that potential is reached due to the condition of the people who receive it okay does that make sense you know, God, when God does revival, he's got this, there is this unlimited potential of what it can do. But we become the limiting factor. Not God, we. Does that make sense? 
And so therefore, if we're going to be a vessel of revival or outpouring, or what I refer to as spiritual renaissance, then the limitations that we have in our humanness, in our spirit, in our soul, in our condition, the limitations there will sort of be the high water mark for us. I mean, it, just, there's, there's limitations involved. And so I'm going to speak this morning on a subject that um, I think maybe will kind of make all that make sense. You got a soapbox, you said? This way I can mumble and you can still hear me. It goes back to this business of offenses and echoes what um, Angie just said. When we are offended by something somebody said or did, the biggest problem is that we are right, probably right. The person was a jerk and what they said probably was stupid. Okay? The challenge is what Angie said, forgiveness. We can either get hung up on that and be right. Or Proverbs 19.11 talks about this. It is a glory of man to overlook a transgression, to forgive it, let it go. Um, and that is very, very difficult. There are a bunch of examples in the Bible of it. Um, look at the book of Habakkuk. Chapter 1, the prophet is very unhappy. Injustice is all around, violence is all around, corruption is all around, and God is nowhere to be seen. And the poor guy is very upset about that, and he complains to God about it. Chapter 2, he's expecting to be rebuked. He's expecting God to tell him, you're a prophet, you're a jerk, shut up and be quiet. God tells him, no problem. I'm going to bring the Babylonians along to judge these people. Habakkuk now ha he had one problem, now he's got two. The Babylonians suck worse than we do. But the answer is in the final chapter. Even if everything around me collapses, yet I will worship the Lord. That's a challenge for me. You guys didn't need to hear any of this. I needed to hear it. I'm off that's a, that's a good soapbox. That's a very good soapbox. Very, very good soapbox. And uh, just one last thing on offenses, okay? Um, Tom said, and this is, this is not an exact biblical quote, okay? You can't find it written exactly this way in any translation. But he took the subject of offenses and he made a very true statement. He said this. He said, in the end days... Because of offenses, the love of many will wax cold. There's a direct connection, a correlation between, in the body of Christ, an offense 
and the degree to which we love the person who's offended us. A direct correlation. And so therefore, you know, if, if we have a relationship or you have a relationship with somebody and, and an offense has come in, um, the reason you need to handle that as quickly as you possibly can according to the biblical guidelines is to keep love from going cold on both ends. And I'm going to show you the critical importance. that I didn't even know these two things were connected until before I went to the round table. God had been dealing with me with a passage of scripture and I began to study it and as I went through it, I discovered a great truth that I tell you, I really never made a connection with. Okay? And I'm going to share that connection with you today. I shared it last night at PWAC at Savannah and so those of you who were there, uh, you're going to hear something twice. But to me, I thought the principle was so profound that I needed to share it again today. Uh, because it's had a profound impact on me. I shared with them last night, this actually changed my life. It has actually changed my life. I will forever look at this subject in a different way. And I hope it's a better way. I hope it's a more profitable way. I hope it's a, a, a way that will bring glory to Jesus. And I'm going to use a passage that I used a few months ago here, but I'm going to use a, an entirely different look at it than we did before. Ephesians three fourteen through 21. It's Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. Okay, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Let's just read through this, and we'll come back to what I need to talk about. And uh, then we'll open this up for, for sharing, too, in just a little while. It says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Fantastic prayer. I mean, that, that's a prayer that could come only from the heart of God Himself. And so Paul prayed this prayer for the church at Ephesus. Now, I just want to kind of we'll go through it verse by verse. And... Uh, my family hates to hear me say this, but I'm going to say it again anyway. Um, I'm going to make my point and be quiet this morning. I, I'm, I, I don't intend preaching an hour. I really don't. But there's something here that changed my life. I want to share it with you, and I want to kind of get right to it. Okay, because I want to hear some input on this as we kind of conclude today. Verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named. The point I made last night, I'll make real briefly again in, concerning this verse, is the fact that uh, we're part of a family. Okay? And we're named by Jesus. We're Jesus' family. The whole, you know, it, it talks about the, um, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That's those who've passed on and those who are still here. Still part of a family, whether they've passed on or not. You know, we're the, we're the people that Jesus has bought by his blood. We're the people who are known by his name. 
We are the people who has the Holy Spirit living in us. We're the people who have been cleansed by the blood. And I'm going to tell you something. The way God looks at it, He's always looked at it as all or nothing. It's the whole thing, balled up together. We're a whole family. Without you, it's not a family. Without me, it's not a family. God has never accepted anything less than the whole part or the whole picture. And so Paul, whenever he went to his knees, he was thanking God for that. The whole family of heaven and earth is named. Verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now there's a connection right here that I want to begin to establish that I really never thought about. And as he develops his, his prayer and as, as the definitions of the words begin to, uh, to flow out of this passage of scripture... Here comes the principle. He begins to establish it right here that I've never really given much thought to until this week prior to the round table. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now the word strengthen means to grow strong. Okay? It's not necessarily the way we would think of the word strengthen being used but it's actually to grow strong. You know, I can, I can strengthen Ken, or I can strengthen my wife Janie, or I can strengthen Jason by virtue of my relationship with them. I can do that. I can also hinder that through a variety of different means. But Paul's prayer is that the people, the family of God, and, and, and the individuals, let's bring it down to an individual level, he prayed that God would strengthen them, strengthen them by a particular means. Strengthen them with might by His Spirit in the inner man. How many of y'all know you got a little man living in you? Spirit man. The alive man. And according to Scripture, that inner man is to, our spirit man is to rule over everything else. He's to rule over our mind and He's to rule over our flesh. When we're born again and when, we're, when, when the Spirit of God begins to inhabit us, the life of Jesus becomes present. And in, in this inner man then begins the process of maturing and becoming strong. God does this by His Spirit. But in this whole process, Paul mentions that we would be strengthened with might. Which, and the word might here is the word dunamis which is the word we get what from? Dynamite. So watch this. Let me read this a different way. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to grow strong with power by his spirit in the inner man. We, often terms, we oftentimes think of spiritual maturity and spiritual might as by how much we study the Bible. By how much we pray. By how many good deeds we do. By how many times we go to church during the week or over the course of our life. By how many times we fellowship with people. We often measure our maturity and our spiritual might by things of that nature. But guess what God is saying here through the Apostle Paul? He's saying, I pray that God would strengthen you by virtue of the power that's in you has nothing to do with external means whatsoever. 
Nothing. And one of the reasons people find themselves so disappointed and so discouraged by this thing we call church life is because the emphasis and the focus is on the wrong things. God wants you to grow up by virtue of the power that lives within you, that's been deposited in you by virtue of the new birth and the habitation of the Holy Ghost. Have you ever thought about that? That he wants you to grow up by virtue of the exercising the power that you have in you that's resident there already. Now listen, when I got here, I was beginning to scratch my head because I had seen something that was being applied here that I'd never seen before. Totally and completely overlooked it. Let's go a little further. That Christ may dwell. The word dwell, of course, has inference of habitation, living quarters. It has, that's one inference at it. That he would grant you according to the riches of his... Now, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, here he begins to incorporate another dimension. He begins to incorporate the workings of love and faith as they work together. Primarily, from this point forward... He's referring to love, the love of God or the love of Christ, okay? So he's introducing another element here of the growing strong principle. And he talks about the Christ who dwells. And we would oftentimes think about that as habitation, which is is one of the meanings here, okay? Won't belittle that at all, but it also has another meaning. I'm going to read it this way. I'll tell you what that means. The word dwell here means... The divine power or influence that is said to dwell in a person's soul to pervade, to prompt, and to govern them in their hearts by faith that they being rooted and grounded in love. Okay? What it's talking about here is coming back to another principle. Is that the life of Christ in you is there in that inner man to dwell in your soul to pervade, that means to like overshadow, that means like to cover, to pervade, to prompt, to cause you to do things and to govern your activity in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. So then he's talking about power up in the first verse, dunamis, that explosive power of God. And then he's talking about the power of a resident Christ who lives in you, another kind of power, a divine power. Okay? And those two things have different nuances, but really what he's doing here is he's driving home the same principle. There is a power that you have in your life and in your heart that God has given you. And as that power is present in your life, this element of love begins to take effect. And it becomes a principle that's connected with the power. Let's go to the next verse. Verse 10. You may be able, which means to fully grasp. This is talking about a mental capacity. You may be able to fully grasp, to comprehend. The word comprehend means of Christ by his holy power and influence, laying hold of the human mind and will in order to prompt and govern. It goes right back to verse 17, the same Christ, the same influence, that you be able to mentally grasp or to comprehend what Christ is doing with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height. What he's talking about here is that The divine power of Christ is there not only to prompt and govern you in these other areas, but he's also there to cause you to begin to understand 
and to get a handle on the greatness of the love of God in you. Now, from a human standpoint, to be able to comprehend the love of Christ, how, how tall, how wide, how deep, how broad, the, the, the capacity for the human mind to be able to absorb that, it's, it's not going to happen. It's an impossibility. But when Paul is praying, he doesn't pray in terms of impossibility. He prays in terms of absolutes. He's praying that although he knows you can't comprehend it, he's praying that it will become a reality in your life. Once again, getting back to the limitless nature of whatever God does in your life. The limitless nature of the presence of God in your life. The limitless nature of the power that He's given you through Christ. The limitless nature of the love that Christ has bestowed onto you. And these limitless qualities combine to do something extremely, extremely extraordinary. Watch this. And to know... The word know in verse 19 means intimacy. It's the, it's the Jewish idiom of a man and a wife knowing each other in an intimate way. Okay? So we talk, I'm, just, I'm just kind of rehearsed this, just kind of putting it together so you don't forget it. We've got the dunamis power of Jesus, the explosive power of God. We've got the divine presence of Jesus living in us. We have the potential and the presence. You hear me? We've got the potential of God and the presence of God together. They're two different things. Present in our lives all the time. Love works in there, the the boundless nature of love. And then he comes down here and he says this. And that you might know, understanding these things, that you might know the intimacy of the love of Christ, which which here again passes knowledge. But being intimate with Jesus brings in something. Watch this. Being intimate with Jesus or the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So then, the intimacy with Jesus causes, as it interacts with the power of God and and, and the love of God, as they interact together, that intimacy, what it does, is it causes the fullness of God to be present in our life. It absolutely is designed to saturate everything. Two illustrations are used here. Two, two, different, two different ideas and two different things, I, practical applications I can take. One is the, the mental picture of a ship where you have captain, have first mate, you have, you have riggers, people who work the ropes and who work the uh, sails, and then you have people who row the boat. Okay? The fullness of God is like a ship that is fully equipped and outrigged. There's not one place missing in there. Everybody's got their place. Everybody's got their job. It's working. Okay? When the fullness of God comes upon us, and when this stuff works together like it should, the power of God and the love of God, it's like a ship being fully equipped. When the fullness of God is is bestowed or given to a person, or God through just a gracious act of mercy does that, It fills up everything. The other example is like a town. We went down to Fort Lauderdale this week. We noticed there was a lot of empty buildings, a lot of incomplete construction. The fullness of God is like a town that has not one empty building, not one empty home, not one empty yard, not one empty room, 
Everything is in its place and occupied. That's the sense of fullness, okay? The sense of fullness. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Here's what sneaks up on me. What he is saying here is this. When it comes down to spiritual power. Now the message of the kingdom of God is a message of power. It's a message of other things, but it's also a message of power. How many of you have fallen down on your knees and you've asked God for power? If you haven't, probably you will be before long. God, you got to help me. you got to do something. Give me help. Give me power to deal with this. I don't know what to do. Have you ever been there? Yes, you've been there. Would you say, let me ask you a question. Uh, would you say that there would ever be a case in your life where you would have too much of that? The answer to that is no. Would you say that when you pray for somebody for healing, for signs, wonders, and miracles? Would you say that? That is a necessary ingredient to uh, cause a person to be healed or for a miracle to happen or a wonder to take place? Yes. Now, what do you want? Do you want power of God in your life or do you not want the power of God in your life? That's the question that comes down to me. I have got to have the power of God in my life. We noticed in a message a few weeks ago that one of the elements of having spiritual power released in your life was being able to embrace suffering, trials, and persecutions. Paul said he embraced those things in order that the power of Christ might be revealed in his life and released. That's what he said. That's one of the things that releases power in your life is the ability to embrace sufferings and tribulations and trials in a positive way, the way God wants to, Working through those things, when you do that and you accept them the right way, power is released. Now what he's saying here is this. Is that the thing that's going to release power in your life, another thing, this is like another one of those pieces of the puzzle that was set in place for me. One of the things that's going to release power in your life that you need when you're praying for people, that when you're dealing with your situations, or when someone else's situation incorporates you in their life. What he's saying here is this is the degree to which your capacity to love is, the degree to which that is directly related to the power that you have access to to do what you've been called to do and to live in this world. Yeah, to me. And here's where, here's where my toes got stepped on. And I'm going I'm you know, to walk around here and, uh, you know, Watch out for your own toes. The most, if, if you did a review, I did sort of a cursory review, but if you did a review of your life and you went to situations where you felt like you had no control over, no power, all this, that, and the other, maybe, okay, and I'm not saying this is a completely positive 100% statement, but maybe your lack of power might be Related to, might be, a lack of experience, the maximum of love that you should have for other people. Or it may be reflected in the lack of love you have for God. Okay? 
Because I'm telling you, it's one thing to be offended with other people, but it's entirely another thing for God to offend you. When you're offended with God. Jonah was offended with God. I've been offended with God. He just has not done what I think he ought to do. It's unjust. It's unfair. Which causes me to have a negative reaction to his love. Causes me to pull back just a little bit. Well, God, if you love me, you wouldn't let all this happen to me. And therefore, when I take that position, I think the flow of power from God or out of, out of your inner man, I think it's severely limited. But when God offends me, it's like me turning the spigot down on the power that I can access in my life. And so what he's saying here is that, I'm going to say this again. The greatest, or I say the greatest, one of, one of the greatest hindrances to you having power in your life is the capacity to love other people and to love God. The more love you have for other people and the more love you have to God, there's a direct correlation with the power that increases from there. Which makes me stop and reflect. I'm telling you, this changed my life. It, it makes me look at things in a whole nother dimension, a whole nother realm. See, I got to love you. I have got to. I have got to, got to, got to, got to, got to. I have got to love God. I've got to, got to, got to, got to, got to. And then you say, well, you're getting into a situation there of, of works to get gain. No, 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 no. I understand the principle. I, I have experienced the love of God, the love of Jesus. And I've experienced failure. And I'm beginning to read in Scripture where there are principles present. That if I live the kind of spirit-filled, spirit-led life that, I, that the Scripture says I'm supposed to live, I can do that through the power of Christ that lives in me. And if I can do that through the power of Christ that lives in me, then all these external things is whenever I really begin to walk in power. Things begin to pick up and, and move. I can speak to things that manifest in my life and I see drastic changes. You know what we prayed for? you, And a lot of y'all, how many of y'all remember the, the tsunami yesterday in Hawaii? What was the, the biggest wave was what, six feet? You know, they were anticipating something a whole lot worse. I mean, they, they, they were worried over there, and they should have been. You know, we prayed that God would turn the tsunami into a roll of salami. Japan, the highest wave's nine feet. Y'all, that is nothing like what a nine-point or whatever it was earthquake can generate. Remember what happened over wherever it was? Indonesia, a couple years ago, total, absolute disaster from an earthquake much smaller than that. Yeah, six point? Okay. Now, really, I'm done. I, 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 don't, I don't have anything else to say. That is cool. Because I think if I said a whole lot more, I would cloudy the issue up. I'll say again. Go back and go back and if, if you, if it's if this is a new thought for you, power directly connected to the quantity or the quality of love that you have. If it's a if it's a question that you have, I I, I urge you to go back and just kind of take a look again. You know, and come to your own conclusion. 
But because Jesus lives in me and because Jesus lives in you, if I'm loving you and you're loving me, not only will we individually have the power to do what we need to do and what we've been called to do and to, and to, and to access not only and, and, and acquire the destiny that we've been called to do, but all sorts of great things will happen in the middle. But if I'm loving you and you're loving me, then the synergy of that combined love will multiply. It's true love. You know, Paul said, if I forgive anything, I forgive it in the presence of Christ. You know, you know what he's saying there? Here's what I, and I'll go back to what Angie put into that equation. Here's what he's saying. Here's what I believe he's saying. This is the way it's kind of impacted me in my life reading that scripture. Here's what he's saying. There's some things I just can't get beyond. There's some things I cannot reconcile in terms of dealings with other people. But I have learned, if I can't forgive, I'll simply forgive for the sake of Jesus. Because he forgave me and I know he forgave you. And so therefore, I'm going to forgive you and you need to forgive me. We need to get on with it. Y'all, I'm telling you, this thing, is not, this thing is not hard. It's so incredibly simple. So anyway, somebody else has anything they want to comment concerning these topics? Because here's where we can learn. Sat? Okay. Just looking at that verse 18. If you look at the preceding verses and some of the succeeding ones, he's praying about what God would do in your heart, meaning you individually. But he began with family. And then in this verse, he introduces the phrase, with all the saints. He's not talking about just your growth. He wants the whole family grow. never noticed that before. It's like I said earlier, it's, 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 it's not an either-or proposition with God. It's the whole thing, the whole thing. And this is causing me to look differently at uh, other bodies of Christ, other churches, other denominations. I'm going to tell you, uh, there's been times in my life I've had dim views of other churches and denominations and other ministries, and a lot of that was stimulated from a heart of jealousy. You know, jealousy and love in the same heart won't mix. It's like oil and water. It's death will become of it. I am trying so hard. You know, and the thing with the morning star this week, in terms of offenses, and I just, I, I just, I won't go there a whole lot more. But just in terms of offenses, when they mentioned the Todd Bentley thing, I'm going to tell you, I was not on board 
fully with that. Not on board with it. Because there were so many questions in my mind and in my heart. And I come to so many judgments and conclusions. And Todd Bentley is not a neat package. <laughs> you know, Todd Bentley, and I, I don't say this you know, in an ugly way. But the Todd Bentley package is, and my family will understand this. It's like me wrapping a Christmas present. <laughs> you know it would and they have mercy on me because they won't let me wrap a christmas present or a birthday present because i butcher it and it comes out really really ugly you know the todd bentley package is not neat but you know what i've come to i've come down to this does it really make a whole lot of difference what i think does it really, you know, is God in the council halls that he operates in? Is he waiting for me to come to a decision on something I think for him to prove it's right or wrong? Or you? There's things I can't, I can't harmonize. But you know what? At the end of the day and at the end of this week, I come to the conclusion that you know, God's got an agenda and a business. And before Todd had his thing, God loved him. And Jesus died for him. And then God gave him an anointing. And the ministry. And I don't know how it all works out. You know what? That's God and His business. I struggle with too many other things to be overly concerned about what God is doing or allowing to happen in somebody else's life. I've got more than enough to handle in my little area of the world. And I'm okay with it. But see, I can't, I, I'll be honest with you. I came to judgment on Todd. And I shouldn't have. And I've repented of that, and I think God's forgiven me. I've learned a lesson. I've learned a lesson. And if I can, if, if I can get away from the judgmental aspect of my life, I'm, I know that love will abound. And in my life, you know, I'll grow in love and, and be, be more sensitive to dealing with the things that stop that love from developing. And I'm going to be honest with you. You, know, you can... You, you, you may find reason to condemn me in this next statement too, but I want all the power I can get. I will not even be bashful about that. You know, I want, I want my love to be so strong for Jesus and for you and for the kingdom and for God's purposes that I can absolutely see into the spirit realm and God, God would talk to me on issues and give me the strategies I need to be absolutely, totally victorious over every situation and issue that comes up in my life or around me so that I can aid and assist my brothers and sisters maybe when they're in the process of growing. Well, I can assist them and give them counsel and whatever wisdom it is I happen to be able to collect, give them benefit of that to keep them from making mistakes and being shortchanged or prolonged in achieving their destiny. That's what I want. So see, I, got, I have to love you. If, if I'm ever going to do what I'm going to do, I've got to love you. And the shoe is on the other foot. If you're ever going to do what God's called you to do, you've got you to love me too. And at the end of the day, we need to keep our accounts with God in a good way. Because He is the source of every single thing that is good and decent and pure. So I want all the power I can get. Okay, see that's the way this works, isn't it? 
But if we let petty offense and unforgiveness and lack of love have root in our life and give it place, we'll be deceived to the point where we'll look up one day and we need something desperately and it'll be nowhere on the horizon because we've cut it out of our life altogether. There's, there's where, there, that, that's where the rubber meets the road with me. So um, anybody else got something they want to say along these lines? I, this is good conversation. Okay, you need, you need the mic. You want to speak up? Okay. Sacrifice something to get something. Yeah, we don't need to be bash. We don't need to be bashful over that. No. Mm-hmm. There's an illustration. There's there, there's there's a phrase that Paul used in this. He says, "Rooted and grounded in love." That's critically important. I mentioned last night in Savannah that there are two there are two plants. There's a rose plant, a rose bush, and a tomato bush that has an incredible characteristic. You can take a, 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 a branch off of a, a rose bush and put it down in a furrow and cover it up with dirt and it'll begin to take root and grow right there and, and eventually become almost not self-sustaining but become a stronger area of the network of that rose bush. Now if you take and you, you, you do a rooting or a a rooting of a rose bush here on this side of the plant and you take another one off the you, you take and bend the branch down and put it in the fur and cover it up and it begins to root over here and you kind of begin to do that in all directions in an effort to cause that plant to root then, then branches begin to grow off of it okay tomatoes work the same way you can root a tomato the same way many people will expand the productivity off of a tomato plant by taking a live branch on the bottom laying it down in a furrow and putting dirt over it. Okay? And you can extend the fruitfulness and the fruit bearing of that plant by doing that because it's going to take root, pop up shoots, and it's going to make tomatoes over there as well away from the main bush. And so the purpose for us being rooted and grounded is this. If we're rooted and grounded in love, then when, if, if it happens in a, in, in a multitude of areas in your life, you just keep being rooted and grounded in love. You invest in love, and then you begin to be, uh, you begin to have those fruits, and you're rooted here, and you're rooted there, and you're rooted there. Then what happens is, if something on this side of your little bush happens to one of the bush, the one of the branches, or uh, happens to a root cluster here, if something happens over here, then because of the strength of the rest of the plant and its network, it can overcome it because it's rooted and grounded in so many different areas. See? But if you have a plant that's just rooted in one place, then if something attacks that root system or that plant, the whole thing's going to go down. See? 
And there's part, of the, there's, there's part of the purpose of being rooted and grounded in so many areas of our life is that if one area is attacked, because we have so rooted in love in these other places, not only will you survive, the damage will be minimal, and you'll still be productive and thriving. That's why it's important to root yourself down in love and get to the place in your life where nothing else matters but love. That's, that's the way I see it anyway. I don't think the illustration would be there by accident because that's an agronomic illustration. Y'all didn't know Paul was a farmer, did you? Anybody else got something they want to say on this subject? Well, I'm done.